including young people, is for the benefit of us all. The participation of young people cannot be questioned. Today, the largest generation of young people in history is living on our planet. 1.9 billion individuals, to be exact. And almost 90% of them live in the global south. Many of the world's youth grow up facing conflict, displacement, and instability. Despite these obstacles, young people are proving time and time again that they are essential to a more sustainable, peaceful, and equal world. And if we get it right, they are the world's biggest opportunity. In this podcast, I'll meet with some of the decision makers who are working with and for young people to protect, include, and unleash the potential of this generation. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of The World's Biggest Opportunity. I'm your host, Hayat Manini, and I'll be your guide to the complicated and sometimes confusing discussion about humanitarian action and development organization. I came to Denmark in 2015 as a refugee from Syria. And as a young person myself, I have experienced how difficult it can be to gain access to the decision-making processes that concerns us. I'm curious to explore the structures that are framing the participation of young people and to learn from some of the brightest minds what they do and what they think should be done. In this episode, I have reached out to perhaps the most influential player in the humanitarian and development sector, the United Nations. As one of the biggest bureaucracies in the world, the UN inhabits several different branches, hundreds of departments, and 37,000 employees. It might not necessarily be the easiest place for your voice to be heard as a young person. However, with the largest generation of youth of all time, it is more important than ever to remove the barriers that stands in the way of young people participating in meaningful ways. I sat down with the team lead at the UN Secretary's General's Youth Envoy, Mette Lubu Paulson, to talk about what is happening in the UN when it comes to young people. So hello Mette and welcome to the first episode. <laughs> and I would like you to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about you, the backstory and everything. Thank you, hi, and pleasure to pleasure to be here. So my name is Mirlubi Posey. I work in the office of the United Nations Secretary General's Envoy on Youth, and I've been working there for about six years. And I work as the team lead for the team that works on on human rights and leave no one behind, as we call it. So we really have a focus on uh, the meaningful inclusion of some of the most marginalized youth groups, you could say. Mm-hmm. We cover a range of different thematic areas, uh, including human rights, gender equality, young people with disabilities, and humanitarian action, including young refugees and migrants, and also, finally, young people's political participation. Okay. 
Um, that seems like a lot. It is. It is <laughs> a lot. Lots of responsibilities there. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you could say. You could say. And I mean, to your question on 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 my background, as I said, I've been working in this office and and for about six years before I joined the the UN, I worked in the Danish Ministry of Foreign Affairs, mm. and I also have a background um, in my younger days in, in various um, youth organizations working on primarily humanitarian and uh, development aspects. Okay. So myself, I didn't know that there is a youth partition of the UN. Mm-hmm. So uh, can you tell us the difference of like, there's the UN and there's the envoy. So what is the difference between them? When did the envoy come into the picture? more details about that sure sure i mean I'm, i'm happy to provide a bit of a bit of background and context so the the office and the mandate of the youth envoy was established in 2013 by the then secretary general of the united nations and really um recognizing at the time that there were a lot very high numbers of young people uh in the world, of course, concentrated uh, primarily in the global south, um, who lived in very challenging environments and didn't have access to very basic services and also, maybe most importantly, didn't have a say. Hmm. Even today, we know that while nearly half of the world population is under 30, only 2.6 of parliamentarians are under 30. The average age of Our political leaders today is 62. Oh, and wow. I think of for as a, as a pure demographic, demographic uh, argument um, that poses an issue. And uh, the, secretary, the secretary general at the time um, felt the same. And as a, as a type of response, he, he felt that there was a need for the UN to mm. work more strategically with the meaningful inclusion of, of young people and also with how the UN respond to the needs of young people in uh, in our programming and uh, country-level engagements. So uh, the youth envoy who is now in office, uh, her name is Jayatna Vikramanayake. She's from mm-hmm. Sri Lanka and she's the second envoy. She really represents the Secretary-General, you could say, on all matters um, related to young people in the world. And... Mm-hmm we are mandated to bring young people closer to the UN and uh, to bring the UN closer to young people with a specific focus on on the most marginalized youth groups. And as I said before, the leave no one behind agenda. So meaning a specific focus on, on those we are not reaching in our work and also those who are not included in the decisions that are made. What, the, what characterizes the youth generation? I think that's a, that's a good and a very difficult question to answer. I think being young has always had its, its set of challenges, if I can put it like that. And those challenges are also, may I add, culturally defined. Um, however, what is clear is that today... Over 1.9 billion young people face issues that no other generation before them has uh, has encountered. Mm. During the COVID-19 pandemic, really at the peak of lockdown, 
school closures affected 1.6 billion learners, and obviously most of them were young people. Still today, we have 244 million children and young people who don't have access to education. If we look at livelihoods, globally, we saw that youth employment fell by 8.7% in 2020 alone. Today, a young person is three times more likely to be unemployed than an adult. I think this, this says something about the context we're living in, right? Yeah. 2.2 billion children and young people below 25 do not have access to the internet. Mm-hmm. So within this reality, young people who are already vulnerable, um, they experience greater obstacles in accessing basic services and also in realizing their human rights. And this really includes young women and girls, LGBTIQ plus youth, indigenous youth, young people with disabilities, and young refugees and migrants. At the same time, we are living in a climate emergency. We have ongoing conflicts and systems of inequality that really continue to pose a threat to young people's lives and futures. So, Haya, when you ask about a characterization, mm. it's a mistake to think that young people are passively waiting for others to sort of give them the opportunities that they deserve, which is sometimes the, the narrative that is being brought forward. I think although young people really bear the, the biggest brunt of the various crises that we, that we face, they are also leading action to, to counter some of these challenges. Um, and, and what we see and what I see in my job is really that young people, they, they innovate with low-cost solutions when resources are scarce, and they often are, especially for young people. They mobilize through informal networks and social media, and they also really leverage information and data to demand transparency and accountability from those who are making the decisions. And those that are making decisions are most often not young. So I think in terms of what can we say about young people, again and again, we see a generation who care deeply about creating transformational change. But we we see a generation whose needs and also voices are too often sidelined when it comes to making decisions that, that affect their lives and their futures. And that's, of course... Part of uh, part of what we are trying to change in the office of the of the youth envoy in the UN. Yeah, that was my next question actually. Mm-hmm. Like now, after talking about the office itself and the characteristic of the young generation, how does the UN envoy office engage young people? Hmm. Well, as I said, um, again, we we try to bring the UN closer to to young people and young people closer to the UN. And we, we do this across all the areas of the UN's work. And um, the umbrella of, of all of this work is the UN's youth strategy. It's called Youth 2030, and it was launched in 2018. And all UN country teams and funds and programs are reporting annually on the progress of implementation of this strategy. And the implementation of the strategy is guided by a high-level steering committee, and the reason why I mentioned this is because this high-level steering committee is, is composed by representatives from UN entities alongside youth networks, representatives from youth networks. And this is one of the ways in which we really try to walk the talk by implementing new and sometimes different practices from within, proving that you know, young people can and should be represented at the highest level and that this is actually possible also in the UN, which is probably one of the most bureaucratic places uh, you can find. Yeah. 
Can you tell us more about the initiative of the 2030? Like, is there examples? How do you do it? How do you bring young people in? Like, we did this, we did that. Um, yes, of course. I mean, in, in, in many ways, I think, uh, as I said, the youth strategy is, is of course, being implemented on, on the ground. It's, it's mm. about making sure that when the UN operates in a country, um, that they work together with young people. So, for example, establishing youth advisory boards um, in, in countries to work with the UN. And to advise on their activities, that's a very sort of um, concrete example. Mm -hmm. uh, it could also be in the wake of, of humanitarian crisis. Um, in, in the response, uh, making sure that the UN reaches out and, and works collaboratively with the many young people who, who are active in the immediate response. It also happens at, at the more global level um, for us, making sure that young people's inputs are heard and, and feed into the intergovernmental process. So facilitating that access, supporting uh, representatives from youth-led organizations to participate in, in important discussions, things like that. How many people is there, like how many young people are there now in the youth envoy, like the total? And what are the barriers, first, of having new people or like having youth in the UN and the barriers that a young person might have within the envoy? Hmm. I mean, first of all, we are, I think we are around somewhere between 15 and 20 people. And we also also make very much in the spirit, you could say, of a startup, uh, a very young office. Mm -hmm. which I think is, is great and is, of course, also kind of uh, trailblazing in many ways to show that uh, young people, also young professionals, can, can carry a lot of weight and can, can bring new thoughts and ideas to um, a big institution like the United Nations. Probably also worth mentioning here that in the resolution uh, on the establishment of the forthcoming youth office, it is uh, stated that the, the forthcoming head of this office should be below the age of 35, which is not how it usually is. So I think in many ways, we're really trying to sort of push the limits for what's possible. Now, you ask about the barriers uh, for, for young people within the UN system. I mean, within this intergovernmental arena, it's, it's undeniable that spaces and opportunities for youth to engage in UN processes have, have really exponentially increased over the past uh, decade, as I, as I just mentioned, right? Mm. Um, and the opportunities for engagements are, they're many and they're quite diverse, but this also comes with it, its own set of challenges in a way. I mean, something as simple as getting access to the right information, understanding the role of different actors is extremely difficult. And may I add, not just for young people, but for mm, <laughs> people of all ages. We, we also have significant challenges uh, when it comes to accessibility, language, although there is a set of, of official languages at the UN, many things are still primarily happening in English, uh, or maybe Spanish or French. There are a lot of young people in this world who have a lot to offer, but who don't speak those languages. Hmm. Um, but we're also optimistic uh, for other reasons. Uh, the, the, the Secretary General of the UN has issued a report on our common agenda, 
This report calls for a renewal of solidarity across generations, particularly with younger generations. And it, it puts forward a number of very concrete recommendations for how to do this. Because what is clear is that young people are supporters of the UN. They are supporters of the multilateral system. But uh, at the moment, they do not feel that the discussions taking place in these spaces are representing the concerns of, uh, of youth themselves. And I think this is in everyone's interest to try to, to bridge this gap. Um, so this is what we are working on at the moment through partnering with young people trying to find very concrete solutions to, to how to ensure increased and meaningful participation. Okay. And why is it important to engage young people? Why is it important for the UN to have the youth envoy? You know, around the world, young people are at the forefront of efforts in supporting promotion and protection of their own human rights, but also the human rights of others. Um, they exercise their right to freedom of information, expression, association and assembly, physically, but also online. And I say this recognizing that it often comes at great cost. I mean, mm. the space for the civic space is shrinking in many parts of the world. But through their advocacy and their active engagement in, in a lot of different forums, also at the UN, this could be the Human Rights Council, the Commission on the Status of Women. Through all of these processes and modalities, um, young people contribute to enhance the legitimacy and the inclusiveness and the effectiveness of the solutions and the decisions that are made. And by participating, young people help ensure that the most important global agendas are informed by diverse perspectives and also perspectives from the ground, which strengthens the ability of countries and communities to effectively achieve lasting peace and, and uphold human rights. It's, it's important to say that inclusion is dependent on designated efforts by the system and by, by governments to make sure that, um, that these processes are, are transparent, they're accessible, they're safe. So, so that young people can participate as, as equal partners. Hmm. And, and why is it important? I mean, the intersecting nature of crisis that we see, going back to what we discussed in the beginning, are really the biggest issues of, of our time, right? I mean, if, if climate change doesn't stall, people will continue to starve. Yeah. If, if conflicts aren't peacefully resolved, uh, there will be no gender equality. And, and if young people are not included in decision-making, we will not find the right solutions for the future. So I think really the participation of young people uh, cannot be questioned uh, anymore. Um, I think um, including young people is, is really for the benefit of us all. And we have, a, we have a common responsibility to make sure that it happens in a way that is, is meaningful. Thank you so much, Mete. Like, really, thank you for your time and for the, all the information that you gave us. And uh, I have one question, probably a lot of people has it. If you have, like, one piece of advice for young people who are looking to get involved within the UN, what would that be? Um, there's sometimes this misconception that in order to make a change, it needs to be super grand, a big project, big budgets, these types of things, which isn't really the case. I mean, so often we see that um, young people 
they get together and they respond to the immediate challenges that they see in their local communities. They get together mm. with their friends and they say, okay, this is an issue we face in our everyday life. What can we do to, to solve it? And then they do with creativity and innovation, um, technology, etc., etc. And um, building on those good ideas, they, they connect with others uh, who, who build onwards, right? And I think sort of recognizing that change really co- can come in, in, in small doses is, is important. And so, as I said, if, you, if there are young people who have a good idea, who are really um, making a difference, reach out to organizations in your area, reach out to the UN. Very often, uh, colleagues at national level are interested to, to, to learn because mm-hmm. uh, young people are the experts of, of their own lives and, and quite often they, they know more about what's needed than, than others do. Great. Thank you very much again. Of course. Thank you for listening to the first episode of The World's Biggest Opportunity. I'm Hayate Manini and in our next episode, I'll be talking to Edwin Odiyambo from Generation Shapers, a youth-led organization in Kenya that made a great impact on the community during COVID-19. We at Generation Shapers are looking at what can we do tomorrow. We are there to create spaces that are livable for the next generation.